Welcome in to Tailgate, the Wednesday edition of Tailgate here. This is where we go over the 2022 NFL Draft risers and fallers from the previous week, college football week five. Also, an absolute treat today, going over Mel Kuyper Jr.'s new top 25 2022 NFL Draft rankings. We're going to look at those on ESPN, ESPN.com, give some reactions to what he has already. He's had two big boards now. One big board out on September 1st, and there now this one I think came out know five or six days ago and it's a lot different than it was before well he's grinding i mean with uh mcshay out he's got to put out put in the work he's already got his top 10 long snappers he's already got his kickers and punters ranked together because you know if you need a kicker you just have to draft the top punter on your draft board you gotta rank them together they're all the same thing it's all the same thing don't even you don't i hate the discourse on his position whatever designations he has right, like edge defenders at off ball linebacker off ball linebacker at edge, whatever. I want to go through his top 25 rankings, stop it in between some certain spots here, and then give some reactions to that. So number one overall, Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end at Oregon. No surprises there. I was surprised, however, that he also has Kyle Hamilton as his second-best prospect in the 2022 NFL Draft. I yeah. thought you might be on a cliff there. Not a cliff, on an island there with – maybe on a cliff uh, – with Kyle Hamilton as the number two overall prospect with other guys. You know, Specifically, you know, my argument is linemen. You know, linemen that often go higher than, you know, say. Um, yeah, safety. I mean, the number two overall for that to be the safety position is what do we say? That was one of the trivia questions, right? Like the last time a safety went top five in the draft was Eric Berry. Like it does not happen. Whereas OTs, DTs, DEs, uh, that's every year for those positions. So I do agree. But I, again, like he is not weighing positional value in if. Fucking running back was, he thought, second-best player. He put them at number two. I am, and I still think Cal Hamilton's that good. Yeah, previously he was the fifth-ranked player on Mel Kuyper Mel Jr.'s draft board. He's now number two. Then you have Derek Stingley, who I think we have in the same position as well. Derek Stingley at number three, the LSU cornerback. Evan Neal off to tackle Alabama at four. Aiden Hutchinson up from 13 on his previous draft board to five, right where we have him as well on the PFF draft board. Aiden Hutchinson actually getting some legitimate edge to love top five height from Elkhart. Well, so we have the same exact same top five as we do in order. Mm-hmm. That is it. So what are you doing, Mel? You looking at the rank? Stop. You're checking Stop. out PFF? Check, you like your sub? Is it working for you? So this is probably where the conversation starts. So obviously he has an yeah. identical top five to PFF. And then at number six, previously unranked, and a guy we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, Mississippi offensive tackle Charles Cross. Yeah. Number six in the 2022 NFL draft, which I find I find a bit too high. I mean, you turn on his tape so far this season, you can see the athleticism. You can see him get, you know, I think he does a really good job in run blocking, getting in front of people and those things. But specifically pass protection, beat on speed to power by B.J. Ojulari against, against LSU, beat for a strip sack against La Tech. And he's gotten beat on a handful of inside moves too. I think he's gotten whiffed whiffs with his hands too much too much error in pass protection for me to feel all that confident as the number six overall player i do think his run blocking has been impressive and he's been far improved to what he's been in previous years and you've talked about him as this project tackle that needs to take the next step he's taken a step but this is a top six step so i i do think that at this point in the process it's like it's not saying that this guy is a number six overall pick it's saying that this guy is the sixth best player in the class. You know, like that. not every class has that many guys that are blue chip type of prospects. So I, I'm not disagreeing too much with that. Like he has improved that much from last year to this year. We just highlighted him, I believe, last week on an episode. And I have him at 38. I had him at 38 of the draft board. 
I had him as a riser even this year when he was started in the 50s up to 38, and I even think that is too low. Like, he is a first-round type of player. Number six, you can split hairs there. Uh, I, I don't think there are as many blue-chip players just right now as there were in last year's draft class. Now, obviously, there's a lot of season left for guys to separate themselves, but so I think that could be part of it as well. He's gotten right ahead of what I feel is the blue-chip talent. DeMarvin Leal, the Texas A&M defensive tackle, he's down to seven, previously at six. Mm-hmm. And then another interesting conversation is Jahan Dotson, the Penn State wide receiver, previously unranked on his draft board. Now, wide receiver one, top eight on his draft board, I can't Oof. get on board with this. I can't get on board with this. Five foot eleven, one eighty four. He's not an over. He's not a big speedster. I wouldn't call him a route specialist. My strengths I'm looking at is smooth after the catch. There's a reason he plays punt returner, and also he has hands for days. Catches everything thrown yeah. his way. That, in my opinion, and you saw the one deep pass he did have, or not one deep pass he's had, but a long deep touchdown against Villanova was able to cook that corner with some speed. I don't know what that relative speed is to what Villanova's putting at quarterback, but I just don't know if I see wide receiver one talent, especially in a class with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Yeah, this was the first one going through the list where I was like, oh, like this is this was the one that stuck out. All the other ones I can see. I mean, you mentioned Charles Cross, we're obviously lower on him than number six, but I can see it. Jahan Dotson is number eight overall player in a class, like drafting a guy like that top ten, or drafting him to get hot ahead of guys like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. I was just like I don't think I could see that. Um, he's obviously a little different type of wide receiver. He's 5'11", 184. He is not going to – he's good at the catch point, but he's never going to be dominant at the catch point at that size. It's just difficult to when you are smaller than most NFL corners that he's going to be facing. So, yeah, he's shifty. Yes, he's talented with the ball in his hands. And I think he is a fairly crafty route runner. I don't think he's anything exceptional. I would probably take Chris Olave as a route runner over Jahan Dotson. But the thing is, like, 5'11", and he's going to run, like, maybe a four four five is where I'd put him at. That kind of speed. He is not a elite take-the-top-off I think that's the low, speed. too, right? I don't know if he is I, a low four four style. I think that is, like, around the range you could expect from him. So that's just, man, I, a guy like that, you've already seen him get altered on the course of routes versus bigger corners at the line of scrimmage versus press like that. If you don't have elite speed to basically say, you can't press me because if you're going to whiff once, I'm going to absolutely cook you and you're not going to have any recourse because I am faster than you. When you don't have that, I think he's going to see a lot more press and a lot more physicality at the next level. So this one and his take on the wide receiver class in general here, I just couldn't get on board with. Yeah, I can't either. I think he has in the lead sentence here for his rationale. Dotson is an explosive wideout and having a great season. Look how open he is on this 49-yard touchdown against Wisconsin. That, that was against like off coverage and was blown. Like, yeah, did, it was not a busted coverage. I don't know. That, it did, <laughs> both, but he had two like deep receptions against yeah. Wisconsin, both of which where it was not man coverage. It, lo- it looked like um, it, it, was, it, it was in zone coverage, and it looked busted, in my opinion. I thought that's what it was. And also, he has here his 12.2 average um, – air yards per target and he's not catching a lot of screens and stuff behind the line of scrimmage you look at how many you know passes he's caught less than five yards beyond the line of scrimmage on 35 targets it's been 10 <laughs> 10 yeah. of 30 i mean it has been a still decent has. amount yeah. of you know near the line of scrimmage receptions for 12.2 12, yeah, 12. air yards per target is is not high like he uses that as a high bar like diami brown last year was up around 18 you know, like 12.2 is rank average for a college wide receiver that is not saying he's like getting bombs left and right would you even argue that he's 
an outside receiver. That's the other thing. Like, I don't even know if you position him on the outside. He could. Yeah, I, mean, I think he could. Like, not every, but again, that is on the low end for outside wide receivers. There are, got, there are not a lot of, that's, that's like Tyler Lockett size. Yeah. And, and I don't know if he's Tyler Lockett you know, level. So, we shall see. 22 of his 35 receptions have been caught nine or fewer yards down the field. I don't, and I don't, I don't see he's, I don't think he's this explosive deep threat that maybe he's being billed as. All right. Garrett Wilson, he's the number nine overall player on his draft board, wide receiver two. Um, then he has Drake London at wide receiver three, three receivers in his top 10. That is, like you said, moving this receiving class way up. And he has even more receivers loaded in this top 25. I know we're high on Drake. I know we're high on Garrett Wilson, obviously. But I think you, you kind of hinted at it. But is this wide receiver class like three receivers in the top 10 levels? Or does that kind of speak to the depth of the rest of the class? Well, then he's got four in the top 12. Like four wide receivers in the top 12 is would put this above the last two years. Like in terms of wide receiver talent top. That, if you have four wide receivers in the top 12, there were three kind of blue chip guys last year. There were three kind of blue chip guys the year before. They were tier three. But there weren't four. And if you have four in the top 12, that's basically what you're saying is there's four guys in this class worthy of top 10 to 15 picks. And, man, I don't see that. Now, I, I like these guys. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't wanna, I'm not going to go shit on Drake London or Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. I think they're talented guys. But just compare them to Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle from last year. And I don't think any of these four that he has listed here hold a candle to any of them. They're more in the Elijah Moore tier, these guys, in that I like them as prospects. But I'm not going to go out on a limb and say, you know, that's that's top 10 sort of pick. No, I would agree with you. I think this uh, this is a not as loaded as the four receivers in the top 12 type of class. So at 11, he has Devin Lloyd. And I kind of pause there. So Devin Lloyd was not ranked on his previous draft board, now ranked at 11. Six foot three, 235. I put in my notes here, long arms, gets off blocks. I think he's explosive as well. I think there has been some times where he's can, you know, I think when he gets when he hit some of his negative grades this year, I think he's only had seven negatively graded plays so far this year or something along those lines, have been maybe being a bit too hesitant, maybe being a bit too patient and getting lost in some of this the wave of the blocks here. But when he is on a line, he's making a lot of plays in coverage and as a run defender. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up as linebacker one in PFF draft board just because he is... Now, I don't think he's elite, elite athlete. I think he's a good athlete. Three I, down. I put good enough juice. Yeah, good enough. Like, he's a three-down three down linebacker for sure. But he's not going to be Devin White. He's not going to be Patch Queen even. But I think he's better at football right now than those guys were coming out of LSU. So. That is a very good take. And I, I think – I was thinking about this. You know, Devin Bush, Devin White, Patrick Queen were chasing these, like – speedy freaks at linebacker have we overcorrected and chasing that and like hey let's get back to some of these guys that haven't you know i'll put in my notes have enough juice but are actually really talented football players i'm not saying queen and white aren't but like is it necessary to be a top three percent athlete at the position to even be considered a first round pick well i I do think to a degree um i think the the most egregious example that i'm not sure is egregious but like Jamin Davis going 19 was just that guy can fly. You're, you're yeah. banking on basically that guy is a different level athlete and hoping that you know he develops into a linebacker. Whereas I'm trying, there wasn't the thing is there's not a lot of great corollaries of guys who are very good at football and also you know good enough athletes. I think Ruben Foster coming out was probably the last one to be so, but he's a different case in that like he he wasn't a four pure four five guy. He probably ran the four sixes, but then obviously he doesn't fall to the back end of the first round because of 
that. Yep. That is not why, you know. Yeah. So, All right, let's continue to move down Mel Kiper Jr.'s draft board here. At 12, he has Chris Olave, as we already mentioned, um, and then Jordan Davis, who wasn't ranked on his last draft board. The big, monstrous defensive tackle for Georgia, six foot six, three forty. I put in my notes here... On maybe not from an athleticism standpoint, but there is some like Vince Wilfork vibes with this guy's tape because this guy is a legitimate house. And talk about a guy with very few negatively graded plays. The only you know few negatively graded plays you're seeing on Jordan Davis's tape is the few times they move so loudly that he's not able to catch up. But there are some times where you see linemen trying to reach block Jordan Davis and they just can't get around his ass. Yeah. It's not that he's like blowing him off the line. And when Jordan Davis is moving laterally, it's not like, oh my God, this guy's got juice. But he's so fucking big that other linemen are like trying to just get a piece of him and it's not working. And there's this double team. He, he splits against Arkansas where you're just like, what the hell? He is... A monster, and if you're looking for that like high end, you know, I'm not saying he's Vita Vea, but if you're looking for a Vita Vea type size person, that's Jordan Davis, and he's played really well against the run so far for uh, Georgia. Yeah, I mean, he's just he really is freak, freakishly sized human being to be able to move the way he does at six six three forty. Now, can he move like that for fifty snaps in a game? Is is what I'm worried <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like he has played ninety one snaps in five games. As a starter there for Georgia. And I get that Georgia's loaded with talent. They don't need him to be there every on the field every single play. And I would and, say and he's they, somewhat situational as a skill from a skill set perspective. He's not blowing people offline and rushing the pass with a lot of success. Yeah. I, I, I although I do think like at that size it's and with how you know gifted he is athletically, you're at a higher plane in terms of like it's not gonna be that hard for him to develop one, two moves to all of a sudden affect the passing game. But I still do worry it's like guys that size just you don't know until you see them play more snaps. Now, Vita Vea played uh, around, I want to say, 50% of snaps last year at Washington. And Jordan Davis isn't even at that for this Georgia defense. It's like the worrisome thing is that he's not even sniffing. He's, he's a part-time player right now. And like I said, Georgia can allow that. And he did play 28 snaps against Clemson when it was you know a close, tight game and looked good in that game, obviously. But... That is, it's a little different 28 snaps in one game versus 40 snaps, 17 weeks of a season. Do you view him right now as a first rounder? <sighs> you would just be hard pressed to me. And obviously, it depends on the class. I, I think he's that talented. I think he's that good. You would just be hard pressed for me to put a gun to my head and say, hey, draft this guy in the first round when we've seen how the defense tackle position, like run defenders, you can get in the third, fourth mm-hmm. round. Maybe, they're not going to look like Jordan Davis, but you can get those guys later. And with all the sort of concerns I have with a guy that size, consistently being able to play, like I said, on downs that matter, third downs, I would just, I think other positions I might take a shot at. Two small school positions next here are small school prospects. Trevor Penning off the tackle out of Northern Iowa, and then Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty. His QB1, your QB1. Let's start with Penning. You really like Penning. Yeah. And he has him even ranked ahead of... Linderbaum, who I remember when we were talking, I think it was one of these shows that we were doing, you said, yeah. you know, Tyler Penning might be the highest drafted player out of Iowa. We're like, are you kidding? Linderbaum? You're like, wait, yeah, maybe you're right. But now, <laughs> Penning, ranked, Penning ranked ahead of Linderbaum here at 14. Uh, talk to me more about him. Yeah, I mean, he's super physical. but and that, I'm just, like, hesitant on guys who are like that at the FCS level because, well, shit, it's easy to look that way when you're playing guys who won't play in the NFL and it's just like that level of competition so he's a guy I'm hoping you get to see at a postseason you know showcase bowl shrine bowl something like that 
to see what he looks like against you know extra guys who will also play in the NFL. So I'm hesitant on that, but he really is uh, that like his tape is pretty dominant for that level of football. And Malik Willis, QB one, fifteenth overall player. Are you expecting? That's like where we see yeah him in the quarterback class at this point. Yeah, it's just what it is no surprises in the quarterback class for sure i mean not having any of them ranked inside the top 15 i think or top 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 10 and having malik willis qb1 is common or similar to what we see right now tyler linderbaum ranked at 16 he was previously unranked now 16th on the iowa center on mel kuyper jr's draft board then nicholas petit frier offensive tackle for ohio state have you been impressed with him so far this season i know he's graded well and he's a former five star like a ton of talent you know, I think he's someone that maybe we forgot, not forgot, but you know, maybe lost in this off the attack class with some of the other guys. But Petit Freire playing well. Yeah, we don't talk about him a ton, but I mean, that guy's, it's a first round type of tackle. He's 31 on the PFF draft board. Uh, he's probably, in terms of tackles, I feel good about in pass protection early on in their careers. I mean, Evan Neal is obviously OT1 for us. Kenyon Green, we have his OT2, but he's more of a project. Iki Ikuanu, we have his OT3 right now, but he's. I'd rather play, have him at guard. I think he's going to be a guard at the next level. And then Petit Freire is uh, OT4 there. But like, I think I'd rather take him right away, if I'm saying, between him and Kenyon Green, who's more ready right now, I'd take Petit Freire. Wow. And you like Kenyon Green at tackle, not um, guard. Yeah, I, I think I like him at tackle better. Now, arm length, I think, is the concern there, I want to say. But he's more than athletic enough to do it. And I honestly like how... His athleticism plays better on the edge. He has Traylon Burks, the Arkansas wide receiver, down from 12 to 18. Still, what, the fifth receiver inside the top 18 on this this draft board here? And I would argue, I would take Traylon Burks, 6'3", 225, over Jahan Dotson. Like a quarter I like, of the top twenty is wide receivers. That's insane. That doesn't that that that's wild. But that I would is, take yeah. I would take yeah. Burks over Dotson. Yeah. Um I mean that there's vastly different types of wide receivers though, is the thing. And yeah, I, I Burks is ahead on the PFF draft board. I just think him as a size, speed, catch radius guy, like he has things you know will work out well in the NFL. Whereas Dotson, it's like if he goes and you're asking him to be your ex wide receiver and now roles in the NFL in terms of just like pure X don't exist as much. It's more skill sets, putting you in a role to succeed, that sort of thing. But yeah, we have there's a reason we have Burks hired. After um Traylon Burks, number nineteen, Roger McCreary, cornerback Auburn. He's a guy that we're also high on. He has yeah. him ahead of Kyrie Elam and other you know other cornerbacks, Trent McDuffie, that we've talked about more on this show. I think the biggest difference for me that I've seen from last year's tape is he's playing with a lot more confidence, a lot more physicality. I think you, you saw that show up um, against Alabama State where he picked off that wide receiver screen and like practically run, run the route for him. Um, he's had a lot of success this season. I think there are some times where I feel McCreary needs his hands on guys to to stay in coverage. There are some times where he's in off coverage and he gives up more separation. But overall, I think it's been a very impressive start. And, a, and I think that's what um, Mel Kuyper is speaking to at the 19th selection. Here. Yeah, McCreary's risen up PFF draft board. Another guy who, outside the top 50 start, now inside the top 50, probably working his way up even higher as well. So, yeah. Matt Corral, Ole Miss quarterback, rising up to 20 on his draft board. QB2 in this class. And then Adam Anderson, a guy we've talked about, a ton comes in at 21. I think he'll end up higher in the 2021, 2020, 2022 NFL draft. Daniel Falele, though, number 22 overall player, the six foot nine, 380 pound monster out of Minnesota. 
We he's just trying to do the Jordan Mylotta take, just saying that that's it's going to develop. And now he could. I mean, he is rare. We overuse the term rare. He's rare. That six nine three eighty was moving like he does. I haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. You know, at the NFL level. So that is truly a different dude. But he's also like you're that physically gifted, and you're not dominating college players it's like uh, now i get it. it's a skill position it's something that needs to develop he's f- played football for four years so it's hard to knock him too much but i would just 22 overall you should be getting a, a guy you're like this is a good player follow a plays in the nfl tomorrow you wouldn't be a good player I think you were drafting Falele, hoping that he develops out of my lot of light curve. I think he even speaks to this in his analysis. There's a lot to like about Falele's ceiling, and that is obvious. He's six foot nine, fucking three hundred eight pounds. If he develops even 20, 30, 40 percentage points better than where he is now, he's mm-hmm. going to be dominant in yeah. the NFL. It's just um, those types of prospects too, and those types of projects. You're going to hate me saying this, but there are there is a lot to hearing. You know what their what their develop, You know what, what you know what their practice schedules like. How they've gotten to where they've gotten, and how coachable yeah. they are, and all those things. If you're especially if you're going to take them in the first round, if you're going to take a player that you have to completely reshape in the first round, the guy better be receptive to coaching and an a- absolutely committed on and off the field. Yeah. And that's what. And case in point, Mylotta. Mylotta was the guy that when you see these interviews and you talk, to, you hear people talk to him. It's like this guy is 100 percent committed to being you know the best, you know, one of the best offensive tackles mm-hmm. in the NFL. And right now, is grading what in the top 12 at his position. He's been fantastic. So well, that's that's also something we say about when a guy is a legitimate excuse for being a project. Where it's like when a guy has played football his entire life and is still a project. Sometimes it's because. He's not he working to develop. Well, he's not like, you know, yeah, Isaiah yeah. Wilson. It's like he's not fucking putting in the work to develop. He's oh, a he's putting in the freak. work. <laughs> he's putting in the work at a uh, drive through in yeah. southern Mississippi. But no. Uh, so, yeah, that's something we talked about a lot, that why is he a project? Dale Fale has a very obvious reason why he's a project. Number 23, watching this guy's tape, I fucking like this guy. Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson, Florida State defensive end, six foot five, two sixty. That size, that size shows up in week yeah. one, his first game against Notre Dame, playing a lot of two point stance, square to line of scrimmage. They finally puts his hand in the ground in a handful of these other games, and has been kind of reckless. I was surprised he's graded so low. He's had a high percentage of positively graded plays, a very low percentage of negatively graded plays. And the thing I came away with too is that this guy's a legitimate fucking iron man he's playing so many damn snaps yeah. for florida state he plays every single snap for them well, that's probably why he's grading low yeah it's probably it's, yeah yeah because yeah. he has such a high snap volume he's played so many snaps so far this season i think you turn on the tape against louisville and jacksonville state he is absolutely turning kids around with his moves and i think he wins with his hands a lot too i think uh jermaine johnson i this is the first time i watched him admittedly this was a fucking sweet ass start to his season yeah so he's already played 312 snaps in five games and that's absurd yeah so he hadn't played more than 214 in a season prior to this so admittedly i can give a guy cut a guy some slack for maybe wearing down a little bit but he is agile he is long and he's a guy who definitely has moved up boards it's insane to think that he transferred from georgia because he wasn't getting playing time like this is, if you're talking about how loaded georgia is the 23rd player on mel kuyper's draft board had to transfer out of georgia to play the 23rd ranked player because he wasn't going to play there because they have too much time. Uh, it's absurd. <laughs> that I know. Is, uh, that is absurd. He's averaging 63 snaps played per game, which is like for a defensive end, like you do not see that many snaps played commonly. Yeah. That is insane. Andrew Booth Jr., the cornerback for Clemson, comes in at 24. I think there have been some 
woes on Andrew Booth's tape so far this year. But another, that's another cornerback where believe. I feel I come away really impressed with his yeah. physicality. Yeah, he just is physical and his feet are so – he's like his balance is just insane. Like that's – you can't teach kind of the way he moves on the football field. You just – you got to, you don't. And so I'll take that chance on Booth higher than even 24. There's only one more note I have here after the top 25 player. He's got Spencer Rattler as the 25th ranked player. He previously had him as the second ranked player. Not the only one, yeah. Sauron. Yeah, that's, that's rough, man. That's rough to see Spencer Rattler kind of fall from grace. Last thing I have is in his September 1st version of the draft board, he had Kyrie Elam as his cornerback, too. I think he was top 10 as well, the Florida corner. And he's fallen all the way out of his top five corners, man. He's not in the top 25. Well, no, he's fifth. He's fifth. Or he's fifth. Sorry, he's fifth behind Derek Stingley, Roger McCreary, Andrew Booth. Then he has Trent McDuffie and then Kyrie Elam, Ahmad Gardner all the way down to eight, which is like, I, I, the Kyrie Elam one blows me away. And then Ahmad Gardner too, being behind fucking Josh Job. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. I think, um, and we've, we've been critics of Ahmad Gardner. We've said like, he's too physical. We've said that's not going to play in the NFL. Yeah. If he hangs on guys, but still he has shown up every game this year for number five, Cincinnati. I don't know. I think there's been, it's going to be fun to follow. And I know a lot of um, our podcast listeners' favorite episodes are us going over some of this stuff. I think what's the most ludicrous thing you've seen? I think it's the Jahan Dotson ranking. I think that might be the craziest thing. <sighs> yeah, I'm not even sure it's the Jahan Dotson ranking. It's just like the wide receivers in general. Yeah. You know, how high he is on this class of wide receivers. And how high he is? Sorry. I, was gonna, I could have gone <laughs> deeper with that one, but no. Uh, uh just the wide receiver class in general. Being five guys in the top 18, four in the top 12. And that's, that's, that's putting this wide receiver class in air. Like I said, that is higher than yeah. last year's, higher than 2020, which were two of the best wide receiver classes. You know, any, any, like Daniel Jeremiah is saying, those two of the best wide receiver classes I've ever seen. He's saying, this one's better. Which is, I, I will continue insane. to be stunned for as long as the two defensive backs, Stingley and Hamilton, are ranked ahead of Neal and Leal. I, I do think that eventually these the def- the linemen will move up boards and they won't they won't ultimately be the number two, number three overall picks. I like Hamilton, I like Stingley. Oh, like, uh, actually, yeah, actually picks. You could call them, you know, the second or third best player, but when it comes to the I don't think they're gonna be picking safeties and corners in the top three. I think with what we saw on Monday Night Football, which we didn't touch on too much, but with Derwin James, how he can change the game, obviously game ender in that one, people are going to want that. Like, the people are going to want that guy in Kyle Hamilton. People are going to see what Jalen Ramsey's doing for the Rams and say, we want that in Derek Stingley. Now, compared to you know, what an Ebony or Aiden Hutchinson can bring, those guys are just like, it's not every year. I'm not, I'm, I shouldn't just say it's, oh, it's, you see those guys and what they can do. It's because... Hamilton Stingley are that good. Yeah. Whereas Neal and Hutchinson in the annals of OT and DE prospects are not like Stingley and Hamilton in the annals of cornerback and safety prospects. No, I think that argument's fair. I just think I always bring it back to positional value. And like, I'm not taking a safety at number two, knowing how much they're paid per year versus taking, if you do feel Leal's a blue chip player or Neal's a blue chip player, I'm leaning those two. I'm leaning Neal over Hamilton if I'm drafting number two overall, even if I think Hamilton's maybe a shade better. Because, I mean, fuck, the highest paid t- people in the NFL are fucking tackles. And if Evan Neal, you think, can be one of those guys, I think you do it. All right. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has week five offer every football fan should jump on. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. 
The last 0-0 tie in the NFL was 1943. So I'd say this is a no-brainer. A sportsbook isn't available in your state yet. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Throw $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team Scores a point. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook. For details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Before we get to your risers and followers from College Football Week 5, do you want to go over Monday Night Football recap? I kind of want to. Oh, what do you want to say? I am, you know, you saw John Gruden after the game. They were like, are you going to do anything about this offensive line? No, I like the guys we have in there. Andre James, the guy that cut Rodney Hudson for and put in there, and they paid some money, is the lowest-graded center in the NFL. Alex Leatherwood, and I'm not saying this is not a victory lap on Leatherwood, and no one should take one, but he's the lowest-grade tackle in the NFL. Like, and Alex Leatherwood's going to develop. Like, He's not going to always be, you know, he has the skills to develop into at least better than the fucking that. Andre James, jury's still out. Jury's yeah. definitely still out. Colt Miller's probably the only high-performing offensive lineman along this line. That is causing... Derek Carr problems. And then you see, this is where I really wanted to focus the conversation. Joey Bosa's comment on Derek Carr? You saw that? I didn't. Joey Bosa, let me find this actually word for word. But he said, for the most part, Joey Bosa said, Derek Carr, we know when he gets hit, he starts to get kind of scared. And you even saw that on that play where he curled up like a ball. He said curled up like a ball before whoever that you know defensive yeah. lineman tackled him. It's like, we knew we can get ahead. And then Joey Bosa finishes that quote with, great player, great guy, but we know he, you know he can't play when he gets hit. That was absurd to me to let that loose. Yeah. I mean, that's great trash talk if you're going to say that. And it's not something we haven't said either, you know. Like, that was, he looked like, after that ankle injury, the entire next season, like, he was mortified of ever getting hit. And now it's subsided to a degree, but, what is it, Tiger can't change his stripes? Is that, is that what the saying is, again? Um, he, he's, still, he's still, when it really is down bad, his offensive line, he shrivels into a ball sometimes. So I have the exact quote for you here. All right. He was actually in his bag. I have two quotes from this post-game press conference. He was roasting the refs. Yeah, I saw the refs. Uh, We know once we hit him a few times, Carr, he really gets shook. And you saw on Covington's sack, he was pretty much curling into a ball before you even got back there. Great dude, great player. But we know once you get pressure on him, he kind of shuts down. Dude, just completely teabags Derek Carr. Then on the refs, refs are blind. I'm sorry, but you're blind. Open your eyes and do your job. It's so bad. It's unbelievable. These guys have to do a better job because it's been years of terrible missed calls left and right. You know, back to you know, focusing on the game more specifically, I do feel I do feel that the pressure got to Derek Carr. It got to this offense. They started the, their first half was nine plays, zero yards. Three consecutive three and outs in the first half. That isn't enough. And a lot of that is pressure. A lot of that is running on early downs. I, I don't know what the Raiders are doing. And then in the second half, when they start to chase these explosive plays where they do have some time, maybe because Joey Bosa is getting held, they do string together a handful of good, you know, good, good downfield targets to Henry Ruggs, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, um, Darren Waller with that nice contested touchdown. I do feel they just, it was too little too late though. Yeah. Like your offense completely shit. They start that. Game. Yeah. I mean, did they think that like Leatherwood was going to be able to block Bosa one-on-one? They didn't give him help early on. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you're money down. You have no plan to account for the biggest mismatch in this entire game. That, that to me, was surprising. 
And that cost him. In fact, that cost him. And Justin Herbert looked phenomenal yeah, in this game, continued to dice them up. I was surprised they didn't run throw the football more, but then you turn back on this taping, both sides of the ball, the Chargers offensive and defensive line was dominating the Raiders. I think Max Crosby had some success in this one, but in the run game, they had oh no, open holes for Austin Eckler and targeting down the field, you know, mm-hmm. they had their way. I mean, this showed the fatal flaws for the Las Vegas Raiders. What are the fatal flaws? Their offensive line stinks. And defensively, while it has been average this year, it, it has to maintain average for it to not, for not, to not go down 21-0 at half. Well, yeah, they were very reliant early on in the fact that they were the, the front four was getting pressure on every single Yeah. All, every offensive line they were facing, they were dominating. And, yeah, Max Crosby's been very good this year. And, shit, I think he has another little layup. Uh, this upcoming week in their matchup. God, who they play? Chicago. So, Chicago, exactly. There's going to have another monster week. But that's not like when you don't blitz at all. And they, they blitz the least of any team in the NFL. You're, you are solely reliant on that because they do not have – they are still not a complete defense. They still have issues at every level, as we saw. And they had two quarters Damon go down Arnett. in this yeah. game. You know, they had, they had Damon Arnett after getting torched go down in this game. Trayvon Mullen was hurt really early in this one. Going down to Amik Robertson, Nate Hobbs. This was not a talented secondary with the injuries there. And I think Justin Herbert picked them apart. It was – again, it, it put a magnifying glass to some of the fatal flaws that the Raiders have. That if they do, you know, there are some games where those can be masked. But when you go against talented teams, a team that I think is comfortably entering Super Bowl competitive. They are entering Super Bowl competitive. They are going toe-to-toe, in my opinion, with the Kansas City Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl in the AFC. That's how good the Chargers are. I said it after week one that they're legit. Yeah. All right. Some other news here. I wanted to hit on this as well before we get into the college football rises and fallers. One, Jalen Smith released from the Dallas Cowboys. And then now, just now... Stephon Gilmore, released from the New England Patriots. Oh, I did not two see veteran, that one coming. Two veteran players released. I, didn't, I, I don't think a lot of people saw Jalen Smith coming, but some did. He was not playing well over the last two years. He ranked 35th among all off-ball linebackers in PFF grades since 2020. But for Stephon Gilmore, you know, last year wasn't a banner year for him. And this year he's obviously been hurt. Mm-hmm. But I did not see him, you know, especially you know, when, when you hear or talk to a lot of the Patriots beat writers how much he means – from a leadership standpoint to this team, I think that's really surprising that they let him go. That, yeah. And now he obviously was in a contract dispute with Patriots. I wonder if there was some bad blood behind the scenes after the injury or whatever, and they're just like, rather than, you know, have that guy in the lock, have that guy being, to quote her, my distraction, uh, they just let him go. So I wonder who he's going to end up. Is the thing now. Tampa? Now, I mean... I mean, they need Ooh. a corner, man. Carlton Davis could be out for a while. I mean, we, I don't know if you listen to the Richard Green Sherman Bay. podcast. Richard Sherman's talking about like next man up mentality. They're going to have to start, you know, Ross Cockrell, Richard if they, Sherman. If they fucking get Stefan Gilmore, what is the rest of the league doing? Just letting them. But why wouldn't Stefan Gilmore want to go? Well, yeah. I mean, probably would. But I think they should. I mean, yeah, they should, but uh, every fucking team should. I mean, Stephon Gilmore, for as you know, much as it was a down year from, was still a very good cornerback last year. Oh, a lot better than what these people, you know, a lot of teams are trying to get right now. All right, let's get to your college football week five risers. Start with your first guy. Yes, we're going to throw it to Brian Robinson Jr., a guy we talked about if he had declared last year. Would have been early day three type of running back. He goes in against Ole Miss. Like, it is surprising how similar he looks to Najee Harris, just running style-wise. 36 carries, 171 yards, four touchdowns, 11 broken tackles. They had whatever they wanted offensively. That game was over at halftime, and Brian Robinson Jr. 
making himself some money in the process. Kind of an older running back prospect, right? Yeah, Richard. I mean, he was the same year as Najee Harris. They came in together, I believe, to Alabama, and so he was second fiddle to him literally his entire career. Yeah, just suck because I think I said last year he's at any other school in the country. He is your bell cow. He gets three hundred plus kids. It's like Rashad Penny behind Chris Carson in Seattle. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Because Rashad Penny. Or Rashad Penny behind Donald Pumphrey in San Diego State. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. Uh, Hey, don't bring up, don't bring up, don't bring up Rashad Penny in the negative light here. Um, Can I say this? Brian Robinson Jr., talented back, 30 missed tackles so far this year. After watching, and I know you have a segment on this show that you want to talk about running backs. I am completely out. I'm out. Gone. Zilch. On any running back that doesn't run like at least like a low 4 4 4 3. Like, you see some of these. Guys out here that are running in the late four fours, four fives, Najee, Josh Jacobs, struggling, man, struggling to have like legitimate, like explosive success. And like Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs have both had success so far in their young careers. Like Josh Jacobs, you know, could have won offensive rookie of the year if it wasn't mm-hmm. always given to a quarterback. But I don't think the lack of juice is worthy of any first-round selection. Obviously, you can start to select them later, day two, day three, but I am not taking a first-round running back unless they're fast. I'm not, I, you, that is the difference in the NFL. Every single other position is trying to get faster. Tight yeah. end, receiver, fuck, even offensive tackles are trying to get faster. Why would you start to now get slower at the running back position and tack these guys that are like running the 4-5 range? No, I don't think you're wrong. And it also comes as a receiver, too. Like It's difficult to... Create separation. Yeah. So... No, I wouldn't. Obviously, wouldn't draft any running back the first round, but especially not one who runs in the four sixes. No, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Next on your list, Isaiah Likely. We've talked about him a bit. He's the Coastal Carolina tight end. You know, everyone in Coastal Carolina kind of moving up boards here. I think a lot of people like Grayson McCall too. I continue to hear that Grayson McCall is people's guy. Who? Can't, can't give names. Can't give names. But a lot of people like Grayson McCall. And I like Grayson McCall, too, if you're going to run option in the NFL. <laughs> but uh, go ahead and uh, talk to me about Isaiah Likely. Yeah, Likely, man. 6'4", 240, an undersized tight end. But you see him in this game getting open deep, getting open at the intermediate level, catching balls outside of his frame. Love his ball skills. Five catches, 95 yards, two touchdowns against Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe. Now, can you block? Eh, probably not. Uh, it's going to be, he's going to continue to have to put on muscle. But what he has receiving wise is probably shit about as good as any of the tight ends in this upcoming class. And we had Eric Galco on, and he said, loaded tight end class. It might not be a first or second rounder, but it's loaded. And I think that's a very good way to describe likely. I don't think he's a first or second rounder, but he has receiving ability that is not, not, always prevalent for six foot four, yeah. 240 pounders. We won't see a first round tight end maybe until next year, 2023, when your boy goes in. Mayor. Michael Mayer. That could be a loaded Mayer. class. You got the two Georgia guys and Mayer. That will be see. a fun one. Um, next on your list. Or no, before we get to that, I wanted to bring up on the Richard Sherman podcast as well, he had Von Miller on. And Von Miller, they spent some of the conversation on passers first coverage and how the NFL has changed on defense and these things. And Von Miller spent like a good five minutes on the podcast talking about move tight ends and receive tight ends it's like every fucking like these tight ends are getting lighter and smaller and faster and it's forcing defenses to run more dime and run more defensive back heavy stuff because you're getting mismatches everywhere you're getting mismatches when these tight ends come on you run on 11 personnel but you have four guys that can create legit separation and have legit explosiveness that is changing how defenses play and i think isaiah likely fills in that mold 
and it kind of hits on what I'm saying about the running back position as well. The offense is trying to chase speed and athleticism and explosiveness. Yeah. You know, how many offensive and defensive coordinators do you talk about every single week about limiting and getting explosive plays? You're not going to fucking get that with a 4-6 back. You need to go get your explosive plays with these faster guys and with these move tight ends like as I Yeah, as that's I like. what we, we say a lot about the time session. It's like if a guy runs a 4-8, you're... Don't draft. Don't draft him. I don't care how good he is underneath. And you cut you him when lim- he starts running a four eight. Because I think <laughs> you see some tight ends too that are drafted in, and then like it's like okay, they don't have it anymore. You don't have it. But it's just if you have a route tree that in and of itself is limited, that limits you as an offensive play caller. Like if you're not going to run Kyle Rudolph on a vertical, you know, you're not going to split him out wide and create a mismatch. Like those that doesn't exist for guys like that. That's the guys you want are the ones that can do those things. And if you're running a four eight. Every linebacker in the NFL is going to be in your hip pocket on a seam route. I mean, linebackers, too, are trying to get you know faster yeah. as well. Uh, next, next guy on your list, I know our Cincinnati faithful are going to be fans of it. He's also a Bruce Ellen's freaks list guy. Alec yeah. Pierce, wide receiver for Cincinnati, 6'3", 215. Move the chains. Move the chains. Move, move, move. Cincinnati Bearcats, your number five Bearcats, just coming off an upset over Notre Dame in South Bend. I'm all in. Alec Pierce. We tell the story about how a guy tweeted about – so our friends came to the game. They're Cincinnati fans to so the Cincinnati-Notre Dame game. And some guy tweeted about how obnoxious they were cheering. <laughs> it's like, I want Cincinnati to lose just so this guy is upset. Uh, and I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. They That's were probably chant, obnoxious. That chant, so his, that chant, the Move the Change chant, is one that they've made up. Yes, and, and they say it. After they every say it first. every single first down. So I can agree that that is annoying. But Alec Pierce <laughs> in this game, six three two thirteen, two goal balls. He is the guy. He reminds me a lot of Donovan Peoples Jones, where it's like I'm not sure he's a great route runner. I'm not sure he's a versatile type of wide receiver, but he is very explosive and big, and that is a vertical route tree kind of guy. And I think he has pretty good ball skills too. So that's. You're not getting a complete type of wide receiver in Alec Pierce, but you're not. There's also not a lot of guys who are six three two thirteen running in the four fours with like forty inch verticals, and he is one of them. So I think he'll go kind of where DPJ one was DPJ fifth rounder. I think you'll see Pierce be like a fourth fifth rounder that kind of guy. You have another Cincinnati guy on here too. Yeah, I'm Odd Gardner. I mean, he was locked down his side of the field. Now the pick was. One of the worst throws I've ever seen in my entire life. I, I went, that was when I knew things were going to go bad. So that was, that was not really a mod gardener. That ball was thrown to him. I think Jack Cohen may have mistaken him for a Notre Dame player. He That's did. how bad it was. But the rest of the game, three targets, nine yards. That's what I'm saying. They, uh, my biggest Just they couldn't even go They didn't even throw at him. Yeah. And, and, in, and they were coverages, coverage-wise. He was to the single wide receiver side. Every time. And that's like where you can get your better matchups. And they didn't even have to bring a safety over. Like the safety was shading to the other side. So they would, they would just basically say, hey, throw at Ahmad Gardner if you want. Please do it. And they just didn't because they couldn't. And Sauce so, Gardner Island. They were also gaining yards on Kobe Bryant, the other cornerback they were. for Cincinnati. Not a good and I think they were trying to pick on him a little bit. Um, but Sauce Gardner, man, that was really impressive. I think uh, we had the end zone view. Of the of the all twenty two where our seats were and mm-hmm. like you just lock in on Ahmad Gardner he was not giving up um, an inch of separation on that single receiver side before we get to a few more risers here wanted to bring up Western and Southern a proud sponsor of the tailgate podcast when you while you focus on your roster moves Western Southern is going to help you make your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering to s- house 
how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Here comes Georgia, another fucking player. Devontae Wyatt, another riser on PFS draft board, wears number 95 for Georgia, six foot three, three fifteen, a little bit monster. I want to play like the Shane Beamer post-game press conference clip after every single time we bring up Georgia's defensive line, where he's just like, they got six five-star recruits, they're talented, they're, you know, they all weigh 350 pounds, and on top of all that, they're good. And he's just like screaming at the top of his lungs. I mean, that's what they have. I mean, Jermaine Johnson, like you said, transferring from this team, and he's a top 25 player on Mel Kiper Jr.'s draft board. Devontae Wyatt, another talent along that defensive line. Yeah. You could put shit anyone from Georgia's front seven. That was a bloodbath. That was one of the most dominant front seven performances you'll see in college football. Wyatt being part and parcel of it. Three pressures, two sacks on the day. Only 10 pass rushing snaps. He really only played 20 snaps and was pretty much every single one of them making an impact because maybe 6'3", 3'15", and... The guy's a legit athlete. The guy might run like a 4'9". That guy is explosive off the ball. Now, he is a redshirt senior. Has been good, not great. 72.9 last grade last year in 2020. But he's at 87.6 now in this game against Arkansas. 90.4 overall grade. Like a legit down-to-down impact player who... I think offers more as a pass rusher than Jordan Davis does at the NFL level. I'll say that. Oh my gosh, I just got tagged in this tweet. I have to bring it up. Bruce Arians on offense or on defensive end, Joe Tryon Shoyinka. He's fun to watch. He's fun to watch. Oh, Bruce Arians calling his own guy fun to watch, which is true. I mean, I'm not saying it's not true. He's fun to watch. I can't believe we got turned down and changed the name of the podcast to fun to watch. That was a great name. All right, Valami Fihoko. Yes. The San Jose State Edge. What the fuck is this guy? He plays like the Tasmanian Devil. Yeah. His pass rush moves are frenetic. He is. I mean, I got like some Her- Hercules Mataafa vibes where he's just kind of out there swinging and it's working. I mean, this yeah. past, you know, even in 2020, you're in an 87.0 PFF grade so far this year, 74.6 PFF grade with 21 total pressures. But I, where my concern showed up, and I loved how he was getting there, he's winning violently, he was winning fast. What is this frame? I was blown away to find out that he's actually six foot four. He looks smaller than that, but wider. He's kind of like got this Curtis Weaver body type where it's kind of funky. I guess start there for me on the funky Villami Fahoko body type. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he looks like a defensive tackle kind of uh, shrunk a little bit. His like, arms aren't that long either, yeah. right? I mean, it's, a, so it's got, a weird frame. It's an interesting frame. But he, like you said, plays like his hair is on fire. I wonder if he was hurt to start the year because, I mean, against Southern Utah, I remember flipping on the tape being like super excited. And he earned a 47.0 grade against Southern Utah. Like he was not explosive. Only played 25 snaps. I wonder if he was hampering something because you don't get disclosure of injuries at the collegiate level. But the past two games, six pressures against Western Michigan, 11 pressures this past week against New Mexico State. Down in, down out, doing the most all the time. Like it out of control completely, for sure. But the guy has no off switch. Like, like you said, plays like his hair is on fire because it literally looks like it with his, the fro coming out the back. Yeah, the, the the hair out the back. We've yeah. talked about hair out the back of helmets. It makes you look more, you know, excited yeah, to play. You're more of a yeah, you're high motor. If you have long hair and it, you don't get the high motor tab, or runs hard as a running back, you're you probably shit. Yeah, <laughs> let's just call a spade a spade. All right, Fedaria Mathis, another monster. Yes. Here come the monsters right down Santa Claus Lane. Six foot four, three twelve. 
90.7 PFF grade so far this year. And in every single game this year, his PFF grade has improved. Mm-hmm. 90.8 pass rushing grade against Ole Miss. Two total pressures. That's, that's when you know you're winning early in the snap. We're getting, you know, forcing legitimate havoc. Um, this is a really impressive player. Another guy where has improved every single year of his career at Alabama. Yeah, so senior at Alabama, you kind of saw flashes last year. Like, he is linearly explosive dude. He has that to his game at 6'4", 312. He's just not agile. He is a very straight-line player. That's kind of what Raekwon Davis was coming out of Alabama, where it's just like, man, like you see him try to, even in this game against Ole Miss, see him try to even corral Matt Corral. Yeah, because I didn't even try to do that. You need to leave. But you see him try to corral Matt Corral. And, like, he can't. He, he could sit there for two hours on a football field not touch Matt Corral once. <laughs> but he can also fire up field as against an opposing offensive lineman and them not touch him either because he is that quick off the ball. So, like what I've seen a lot from Vernier Maths this one, obviously Alabama's entire defense dominated in that game. On to the fallers here. Are we ready to talk Matt Corral? Okay. I wanted to talk Matt Corral. Let's talk. I don't think he was a faller. He's not a faller? Was not a faller after this past week. If you go back and watch the tape, the stats, shit. But he is not a faller. He was not. That was one of the worst opportunities. It reminded me of some Daniel Jones games back at Duke, where it's like, I don't know what you do there. Like, I, I don't know what he could have done. Your offensive line is getting picked. Obviously, the game and the game being out of hand so early, the one thing that he maybe could have done, take some more chances in one on ones. But it's like, even if he was, even if he was doing that, they were not good chances. His guys were not winning on go routes. It's a. It's an offense that is like slants, go routes, RPOs. It's, it's not an offense where um, it's like, oh, pr- progress to this or that. Like, oh, a guy's going to beat his own. It's like, no, guys have to win at some point. And guys were not. And especially their offensive linemen were not. So I'm not sure what he could have done better there. 18 pressures on 36 dropbacks. And that's with him getting the ball out of his hands in 2.59 seconds. That is a swift time to throw to be pressured on half your dropbacks. So Matt Corral... Didn't play great. I mean, obviously, didn't. It's not a game where it's going to be like, oh wow, go back and look at that tape against Alabama. That was impressive. But didn't have a turnover-worthy play. Didn't make mistakes with the football. Put the ball where it was supposed to be when he had chances. Just shit, dude. Did not have a lot of chances in that game. Let's call it what it is. So I honestly came away a little more impressed that he didn't fall in the tank because it would have been very easy to, with how bad it was, throw like start, six picks. Exactly. Just start making bad decisions with the football, and he did not. How much of this was Lane Kiffin dropping the mic pregame and saying, get your popcorn ready? Because I honestly think that was a factor. He came out after and said that was rude, watching it back or whatever the hell. I loved, <laughs> I loved it. And I, I bet fucking Ole Miss right after. Yeah, bet Ole Miss I right mean, after I saw it because I needed it. It was, I mean, he has to recruit 24-7. That yeah. was, how can you watch He's always that? on. He's always exactly. on. Exactly. You watch that as a prospect. You're, I mean, you, I was ready. Would you I rather mean, go to that or to Nick Saban, who obviously is a quiet killer? And obviously, was probably fuming and wanted to like murder Kiffin himself, but would never say so on publicly. I mean, I put my application in now, Ole Miss. After he said that, I don't know if I'm going to be able to walk on, but I'm going to try. John Mechie, another faller. I think a lot of people hyped him up. He was fast and played for Bama. That's all you need. And that's, I mean... Well, it was more, he was now going to be the guy. But that was the third ping, and now he's going to be the guy. Now that he has been the guy, he has not exploded. I don't think he's played yeah. terribly, but he has not no. exploded to where, you know, you've seen well, the other receivers. John Dotson going to eighth number all and yeah. Mel Kiper's draft board. He hasn't done that. And yeah. people, some people thought he would be the guy that did that. And 
one deep reception this year on pace for fewer yards than he had last year. Only 275 yards on 27 catches. Just the explosive plays. That's what, ten just over 10 yards a catch? That's been gone. He averaged 16.7 last year. And he only had 916 yards last year as the second fiddle in that offense or third fiddle for the first handful of games with Jalen Waddell there. So, yeah, I just I thought he would take the next step. Have not seen it from Mechie. Only three catches, 35 yards against Ole Miss. One of my favorite names in college football, UTSA running back Sincere McCormick, falling on PFS draft oh. board. Five foot nine, two hundred five, eighteen broken tackles on the season, averaging. And this is a barometer in college football and in the NFL. We always look for over three yards after contact per carry. You always looking to kind of gain. You know, that's like a, mm-hmm. a good back. You see that from a lot of talented backs in the NFL. Just two point two four yards after contact per carry going against UNLV, one of the worst programs in the country. 1.32 average yards after contact in that game per attempt and only two force missed tackles. It's Steve McCormick, the small guy out of UTSA, going down. Yeah, so after 1,462 yards last year at UTSA, 250 carries, like he was an explosive home run hitter, but he was like 5'9", 195. He's an undersized back. He has, in my opinion, put on either bad weight or weight that he couldn't put on for this frame to where he is not explosive anymore. Broke two tackles on 28 carries this past week against UNLV. It's trash. Like, it was not good. Three, he had 85 yards on 28 carries, one of the most absurd stat lines you'll see from a college running back. That just like never happens. But he is their best player, and they're trying to feed him, and he's just not the same guy that we saw last year. I don't know if he's injured, if it's ankle or whatever, hampering something, but, man, he is not – none of his rate stats are even close to what we saw, and that's usually – not how it works for you know a guy who's a rising junior this is junior year so unfortunate to see from him so far this season because i had high hopes in the running back class like i said that's not anything special i thought he could be in the mix it's not though the blazing start for will levis quarterback of kentucky has faded screeching halt. the flame has faded and we're going to lsu kentucky are you wearing kentucky gear or lsu gear to that Oh, uh, Kentucky gear. You should okay, be. okay, I'll get, I'll get some Kentucky gear. I was going to wear LSU gear. Sorry, sorry, sorry. They're were five you? and looking at what? You were going to wear LSU gear? I was thinking about it. Are you douche? Don't do that. That's right. a home stadium. Fair Kentucky? enough, fair enough, fair enough. We're also going to UC. Undefeated Temple. Wildcats? Come on. Yeah. You see Temple on Friday. Come out if you are in Cincinnati. Cincinnati's 29 point favorite. Should be a good game. And then we're also going to go to LSU, Kentucky, where Kentucky are three point favorites. And they're actually got some value on green line so if you're looking to bet some cheddar yeah put it on will levis but even it's because of will levis <laughs> <laughs> so he started the season off with a 91.9 pff grade three big time throws and the two games after that 80.4 pff grade and a 56.1 pff grade against chattanooga where he had two big time throws and four turnover worthy plays then over the past two weeks against south carolina and florida zero big time throws low pff grades has not been the same guy yeah and danger of getting benched for real here um 717 for 87 yards against florida and it was not this wasn't the Matt Corral situation I was just talking about. He, he had opportunities. He's just blowing them left and right. A, a ton of missed throws on his tape, uh, a ton of late to a lot of stuff to where the guy's an arm. The guy, the guy's a legit live arm, and he's 6'3", 232, and can move. Like, he, he, has, legit, he has NFL tools. He looked like goddamn Bo Nix, though, this past week, sadly. Oh, no. Bo Nix just beat LSU on a 9 p.m. kick. Okay. Will Levis is about to beat LSU on the seventh third. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Ease up, ease up. All right, let's go to the last faller here. Jake Hayner, Hayner, I barely know her. Fresno State quarterback coming off a six turnover worthy play game against Hawaii. I said UNLV is one of the worst programs in the country. Hawaii is down there, down bad, down horrendous. I will say this: six turnover worthy plays. 
There is the Hawaii factor. Traveling to Hawaii is not fucking easy. From, from Cali, it's a five-hour flight. Your whole sleep schedule gets wrecked, and you, you get, some, get some hula dancing in, and this thing's not going to be easy. I, I, I do think the Hawaii... If this game's at Fresno State, I think it's a little bit different. Okay. Sure. I'll get that to <laughs> um, But he also had six turnovers over the place, and he had, looked like he had no... You ever remind, been to Hawaii? So they... The, I have, actually. It's fantastic. I recommend it to anyone. But... I wish I could live there, but it's just so far away and it's actually so very expensive. You're on an island, you know. Mm, that's what they say. <laughs> uh, but it's... He had no recourse for eight-man... Uh, three-man rush. Eight, drop an eight. Hawaii did that all game long. And Hainer just continued to miss defenders and don't continue to not be able to read the whole field to see where guys were. And that's concerning, to say the least. He was one of the toasts of college football. He had a... Shit, he had his lowest grade passing grade before this game was 71.5 in, in five games. Had a couple games up around 90. He was making big-time throws left and right. That game against UCLA down the stretch was insane what he did. This one was disastrous. This one was damn near, I mean, it was undraftable tape. Now, obviously, he still could be a draftable prospect, but you're not seeing that and having him sniff any early sort of early round and especially for a guy who's 6'1 195 he is not your prototype at the position now he has a live arm but he's not going to be that guy so probably not good for him moving forward <laughs> problematic i'm gonna throw the tape out on here we see this play again on the mainland bra then i'm not then i'm a little bit what happens concerned. in hawaii stays in hawaii is what happens good? in hawaii stays in hawaii absolutely i mean that's a tough place to play i mean i i honestly think it's fucking different all right um either way jake hayner I do think that if you see another game like this against a team, he gets into that undraftable range. All right, bus watch. Before we get to our bus watch here, and you have a host of names. Nah. I got my favorite sponsor. I'll say it, my favorite sponsor on the show. It's football season, baby. And you know what that means. It means we're going to go for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time you join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. It's three and out the window with all of the trimmers. Now go tame that Wildcat offense. Now, you know, I don't pride myself. I'm not, you know, I dress kind of like a homeless person. Where I treat myself is with the Manscaped 4.0 lawnmower, lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, okay? Because this thing is a fucking porcelain sink down low, and that's... Because of this thing. This is what we have. The Lawnmower 4.0, the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on off switch can engage travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn on 4,000 LED lights on and off when you need a more precise shave or you're shaving in the dark. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Rain, snow, sleet, match for the waterproof, no match. For the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty on this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code at PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with your free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out the playoffs this year with Manscaped. I still think that's the best one. They should, they should put that pubes. one earlier in the read. Stiff arm your pubes. Let's stiff arm this next I would hope segment. you're not trying to trim your pubes with your arm completely locked out. That would be a difficult reach. Yeah, that's well, tough. All right. Um, boss you have watch. to be in a weird position. Uh, yes. I'm going to be <laughs> that guy here real quick. I love it. I'm going to do the PFF thing. I'm excited. And talk about first-round running backs. I'm going to do it because they're playing like shit right now. 
is before why. you do, before you do, okay. can you acknowledge that they're human beings and you don't hate them? Because that's what a lot of people think. I think they should have switched positions to linebacker. They're Love very, that. they're exceedingly talented. Probably some of the most talented sort of athletes that walk on a football field for to do what they do at their size. But they would make more impacts on football games if they played linebacker. A lot of these guys. I'm just saying. But the only first-round running back drafted since 2017 right now to be averaging over the league average for yards per carry is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who has multiple fumbles and is an afterthought in that offense because of Patrick Mahomes. You have the highest-graded running back right now drafted since 2017 is Josh Jacobs with a 74.0 running back. It's often seen as a position that's easy to scout, that we know what translates, you know, running backs you know, to the Broken NFL. That's what they're safe traded. picks. They are safe picks. That's why they go. Uh, why you can say, you know, Saquon Barkley is the best player in this draft. We're taking him at number two because we know because running back is like that easy to scout. But I'm not so certain it is. And I think with the results we're seeing with these first round running backs, Josh Jacobs, 74.0 overall grade, 3.2 yards per carry. Leonard Fournette. 4.2 yards per carry. Saquon Barkley, 3.6. Najee Harris, 3.4. Christian McCaffrey, 3.9. Sony Michelle, 3.7. Rashad Penny, 4.0. And obviously, he's not had that many. Clyde Orsler, 4.9. There's, like, we might not be good at scouting running backs either. Like, it might be difficult because all these guys are coming from, for the most part, places with very good offensive lines that put them in very good situations too. That they're not used to going behind. We see Najee Harris right now. At 3.4 yards per carry. He's not used to running behind shit off. He doesn't know what to do because he's never had to do it. So I think there is an aspect to that to where, yes, we say that running back is the least valuable. Or off the line first, scheme second, then running back talent is your running game. I also think we're maybe not great at identifying running back talent for a number of different How, how much of that, though, is not as, being great. as good as we think? Not being great at identifying running back talent and just or just looking for the wrong guy. Because all these guys you mentioned are these three down bell cow backs that people want in the first round. Mm-hmm. Like are we I, I said I think I said this on multiple episodes now. Like why are we done looking for that guy? Do we want a three down bell cow? Do we want a guy we want to give thirty carries a game? I don't think so. You know, outside of Derrick Henry, I don't think there's I mean, and McCaffrey too is is dynamic. Alvin Kamara, Spawn Barkley, like these are guys that you can have these three down opportunities with, but like at the cost you need to maintain that three-down back, you're going to have to pay him a shitload of money or draft him really high or both. Yeah. Why are we chasing this three-down bell cow? Why aren't we chasing yeah. more Raheem Mostert's, more um, you know, speed backs, the guys that you can have in a committee? I think that's where the NFL needs to go, and that ultimately, along with you know, already the devalue of the position, I think... Well, I think right that back. comes back to what we just said about tight ends, where it's like if a guy is limited to what he can do. So Raheem Mostert, you're not going to leave all of a sudden leaving a pass protection and assume he's going to get, or hope he's going to get the job done every time. Like, that's an issue. Like, they want the three-down guys so that whatever you want to do in your offense, you can do. Is I believe the reason why you would do that. I had, I had a, an honorable mention if I could submit one to the court. Go ahead. Is, are we ready to call David Arnett a bust? Oh. Too early? I, I, the only thing was I was thinking about him. I'm not sure if we did him already after week one when he only played one snap. <laughs> we might have, actually. We, I think we did Cleveland Furl when he was healthy scratch. Jury's still out with David Arnett? I don't think the jury's out. No, I, I don't. The jury's the gone. The jury's has, home. <laughs> has reached a verdict. And <laughs> All right. Um, whiff watch. This is good. I like the, I like the, the black, um, 
the juxtaposition here. Bust watch and then whiff watch. Who have you whiffed on that you really raise your hand on? So just to stay on the running back topic, we whiffed on Derrick Henry for fucking sure in that one. That was... I think the NFL did. NFL obviously did. Uh, he, he is the different running back. People say, oh, he's different. Derrick Henry is the different one. Derrick Henry is the guy that you can give to as many times as you want, and he'll continue to produce regardless of who the hell you have run blocking for them, which is like the rarity in NFL history. You got, over the past 15 years, you can name those guys on one hand. It's Adrian Peterson, him, maybe CJ2K in his prime. That's about Marshawn it. Marshawn Lynch? Eh, even he, he was like towards the I guess maybe in Lynch's prime, yeah, I could probably see that too. But not a lot of guys like that. We had him 95th on the PFF draft board. I'm not even going to read some of the names in front of him, <laughs> but it's not good. It's ugly. It, it's tough. It's tough to see. So if you want to go back and look, what's that 2017 PFF draft board? By all means, I'm not going to go read them. <laughs> uh, breakout watch, two edge defenders. Max Crosby, the Las Vegas Raiders edge defender. We talked already a ton about him. I think he leads the NFL in total pressures. He's up there in pass rushing grade. He has been phenomenal. The other name, though, Travis Gibson, former Tulsa or Tulane? Former Tulsa. Tulsa edge defender, drafted by the Chicago Bears. He went up against Panay Sewell, had an inside move. I kind of perked up a little bit. He was playing well this past week, and he had some opportunities for the first time in a while for, for, uh, so far this season. And he looked really good. And he was another guy, too, that in the preseason was grading really well as well. Yes. Uh, Gibson was. Uh, he's kind of a project coming out of Tulsa he was very athletic and why I put him here with Max Crosby is because I kind of saw them as similar where it's like they got the body type they have the athleticism I just and they produce on a football field but it's just like you could tell that it probably wouldn't right out the gate click for them like they were there were guys that if they went to Georgia Alabama they would have been drafted higher they, they straight up would have been but it's because the level of competition they're going against who they're facing and just who they are as athletes it's like Eh, you get a little bit wary but Gibson looks like the real deal so far this year um, playing much more physical and the dude is like a freak like he has that bend that you want on the edge so the bit, obviously he's not getting a ton of play time because Robert Quinn Cleo Mack ahead of him but when he has been there he has shown up for sure we have our first round lock segment and then we'll close out the show but Oh, wait, we've got the other bust watch. We've got the Hall of Fame bust. Oh, who do you got? I want Ty- Tyreek Hill this week. Wow. I-, I think, I don't know how much longer Tyreek Hill has to play to join, but I-, I think maybe like two or three years of this. Would he make the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I think so. Because he has been, and-, and right now I think you're, I don't even know if you're questioning it right now with the fact that there's no other, I mean, yeah, Kelsey there, but there's no other really option after, uh, after him at the receiver position in Kansas City, and he is still, I mean, lighting it up week after week. I would argue, too, that he is... 453 yards already. Derrick Henry levels of rare, too, in terms of at the receiver position, like what he can do versus yeah. what other even talented receivers can do. He is different, absolutely different. Um, before we get to first-round lock and close out the show here, Urban Meyer has officially um, released another apology. No statement. Let's go. What is it? It was to his team and source from Aditi Kinkwabala. I apologize for butchering that name. She's a reporter for NFL Network. Fantastic stuff. Follow her. Um, two things. He cared about two things. His family, specifically his wife of Shelly of 37 years, and his players. I embarrassed them both 
today. Address the full team. Another apology for Urban Meyer. He's racking them up at this point, scoring more points than the Bengals, the Jaguars. Dude, offense. That, that yeah. apology was tough to read. It it looked like what I imagine how my dog would sound if when I catch him like chewing on a shoe. I don't know just if like, I like that comparison. He was just Mike. like, I don't, I, I feel bad. I don't know. I shouldn't have done it. Uh, it was, it was tough to watch. I, I also think, uh, fuck. I don't know how I want to approach this. And then maybe I'll just approach avoid. it. But like, there has to be some like self-deprecating approach to this. You know, like that was not like, you did not go out there and slaughter some children. Like you went out, like you did some dumb shit and you had to be like, Hey, that was fucking stupid. I'm an idiot. I, I got to move on. Like, yeah. I don't think it has to be like, I've embarrassed my soul. Like, like it does, I, I get that it wasn't great and it wasn't good and you have to be sorry for it. But I think the amount of like effort that has pushed into these Twitter graphics and now like the third apology in three days, it's like, okay, bro. Like, yeah, no. you, you, oh, like yeah. some random chicks danced on you and like whatever. And you probably, whatever, but like, you need to say like, Hey, I'm an idiot. Like, yeah, you had an entire you read those reports, the entire Jacksonville Jaguars team laughed at him when he left the door. Like, yeah. because well, of how stupid he's treating this. Yeah, it was overly dramatic. Yes, exactly. Overly dramatic. I don't think he's been overly remorseful. Obviously, he was stupid, but it has been overly dramatic. All right. First round lock. Read off who you have so far. Who's joining the list? All right. Kayvon Thibodeau is the first one. Derek Stingley Jr., LSU corner. Evan Neal. Bama, OT, Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan DE, Kyle Hamilton, Notre Dame Safety, DeMarvin Leal, Texas A&M, Edge. And so we're on to number seven. And we're starting to get tight. Yeah, this is starting to, starting to think about this one. But this guy, I feel very confident in because he's going to quite easily be the top player at his position. And while it's not a most valuable position, every year seemingly one goes in the first round. So if goddamn Garrett Bradbury can be a first-round pick, then Tyler Linden wow. is your first-round lock of this year. Of damn, damn. What are your concerns with Linderbaum? Outside, is there anything outside None. of like size? No. I mean, he honestly, he's... so much weight. I'm not, I, I yeah, didn't mean to sound yeah. so... Cont- honestly, he, so much weight. the size isn't even that much of a concern anymore. Guys who are playing center at 290 in the NFL, it's like he's a center only, probably. You're not going to throw him at guard for pretty much any scheme. I would probably say he is a center only. Now, he's not completely lights out in pass protection. That's not why you draft a center in the first round, though. You draft center for what he can do athletically, what he can do as a run blocker. And, like, for maybe one-on-one, he's not the most dominant center. But I think what he can do in terms of just agility, picking up stunts, cleaning out pockets, is more valuable than, you know, going one-on-one and being that guy in that regard. And then what he can do in the running game, scheme-diverse, and just on the move, how he blocks so well is that he's he's going to be first round, first round lock. I just said it. Love it. Love it. Some more reports on the Stephon Gilmore stuff before we break here. Apparently, according to um, Justina Anderson, that the Patriots wanted to play him, but he, he was not confident he was healthy enough to play. Oh. And they wanted to play him 75 to 80% of the snaps per game. He said he wasn't ready for that, but they weren't going to pay him until he play. So then he said, okay, I'm out. Or, or I think it was a mutual degree type of thing. Oh, where wow. It's like, that's kind of crazy. And ends kind of in a stalemate with the man, the myth, the legend, Bill Belichick. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can find us on YouTube or anywhere you get your podcasts. We are going to UC on Friday, Kentucky on Saturday. Please hit us up if you want to meet us out there. We've already met a ton of Tailgate fans on the trip so far. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Silfaro, producer Max Chadwick, Tailgate.